Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Luke chapter number five, as we're, chapter number six, I'm sorry, as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter here at the river. And today will be no different. As we look at Luke chapter number six, verse number 12 this morning, I want you to reach for your Bible and remember that we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy is divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in sola scriptura, which means the Bible alone. We believe in sola fide, which means faith alone. We believe in sola Christus, which means Christ alone. We believe in sola gracia, which means grace alone. We believe in sola deo gloria, which means God alone receives the glory. And this morning, he certainly will receive the glory on the preaching and teaching of God's holy word. If you remember last time we were together, this past Sunday, we looked at the man with the withered hand as Jesus was in the synagogue and the man who had the withered hand was there present. And the Pharisees were waiting for Jesus to heal this man so they can accuse him of doing work on the Sabbath day. Certainly redeeming and healing is work, but it's the Lord who does this work. He tells us to rest. Amen, somebody. This morning we see as we get ready to look in chapter number 6 verse 12, Jesus is getting ready to appoint the 12, 12 apostles. Now, most people believe that disciples and apostles are the same thing. However, after today's study, you'll be able to understand and distinguish between the two. Back oh, a little further on ahead in the book of John, book of Luke, Luke chapter number 10, we'll see where he has many disciples. In fact, he has 72 in the book of Luke chapter number 10. He sends them out two by two when he does this. Now, a disciple is one who comes under a, a, a studentship of a, a rabbi or a teacher. A disciple means to sit at the feet of a teacher, a great teacher. Now, an apostle is different from a disciple, and we'll distinguish about that as we go along in the text, but there's some things I want you to look at as we begin in Luke chapter number 6 this morning. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. We see in verse number 12 of chapter number 6 that Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed all night in this situation. I ask you, have you ever prayed and wrestled with God in such a way? Now, uh, before you answer, it, it, the reason Jesus is praying is because he's getting ready to do something very important. Have you ever took your issue to God? Whatever the issue is. No, I'm not asking, do you pray, do I drink Coke or Pepsi? Lord, let me know. Stir my heart and give me with. No, I'm talking about the, the big deal. I'm going to talk about things that will change your life as well as other people's lives. We see here that Jesus goes and prays. Now, you might even ask, why did Jesus pray? What's the point? He is God. Isn't He deity? However, He's 
submitted himself to the Father and prayed. Now that's the question. If we are to be like Jesus, we are to pray. The thing is that many of us are practical atheists. What that means is we're, we may say we're Christians. We may attend at the river. We may do our Bible devotions. We may have a lot of information downloaded in our mind about the scriptures and the text that we read. We might even know Hebrew and Greek and understand all great mysteries. However, we don't pray to God. There's only two types of people who pray, who, who pray and those who don't pray. There's those who pray and say, God, this is bigger than me. God, I need help and I need wisdom. I need to know what to do and how to do it. God, I, I'm weak and I'm feeble. And I, I know I, I, I'm weak and I'm a, 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 extremely in the blind about this, God. So I need you to help me and show me what to do. And the other type of person is the one who just simply don't pray because they got everything under control. I wonder where do you fall in that category this morning? Do you fall as a person who prays? Maybe you don't pray about everything and anything. Maybe it's just the big things. But, or maybe you don't pray at all. Where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself in a happy medium? Well, if we're to be like Christ where Jesus constantly prayed, He prayed for His disciples his apostles. He prayed over issues. But in this text, this morning, in context, Jesus is beginning to pray. And the Bible says that he prayed and wrestled all night. Now, what Jesus is getting ready to do is something of utmost importance. What Jesus is getting ready to do is going to change and shape the world. What Jesus does next actually changes our whole life from this point, from that point on to now. Because Jesus is getting ready to choose his apostles. So Jesus finds himself in prayer. You might think that Jesus would just flippantly walk up and just choose this somewhere to die. What did he actually pray about? He actually prayed about from Peter all the way to Judas. He actually prayed about everybody in between. He talked about the, the leader of the uh, apostles all the way to the one that would betray him. Jesus was praying to God. You might say, well, which one did he pray about the most? Well, was it really over Judas? Because he knew Judas was going to betray him. No, I don't think so. Probably he prayed the most over the rest of them because every one of them outside of John will suffer and die for the testimony of Jesus Christ. They will be martyrs. He probably tarried all night and asked God to strengthen them because he's going to choose them to be apostles out of the disciples. Now disciples, as I told you a little earlier, are those who are sitting at the feet of a rabbi or a teacher to be, under, be a student of a teacher or a rabbi. But an apostle... We know that the Bible tells us that Jesus was the first apostle. What do you mean? Well, an apostle means from the Hebrew word to come out of and to send. He come out of heaven, he came from the Father, and he is sent into the world. John 3, 16. That he came into the world, not to condemn the world. 13, 16, and 17. That, that the world through him will find grace and mercy and forgiveness. That he was sent unto the world. He was sent from the Father to sinners. So if we don't receive the words of Jesus then we won't receive the words of God because He is an apostle. He is an apostle from heaven. He comes with a message. And now Jesus is sending out out of His disciples from Himself the twelve apostles. Now, that's well, why, do, why, are you, why are you pinpointing this? Why are you making such a big deal out of this? 
Because in our time and in our culture, there are many people who like to put Paul against Jesus. As you read the epistles, you'll see people who say, well, that's just Paul's opinion. Paul just makes up an, a, 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 a subject and he just says this and that. And it, they actually put Jesus against Paul and Paul against Jesus. However, that would not make any logical sense because we must remember that Paul, being another apostle who was sent up out of Jesus, who was brought up and he was brought forth and he sent to the world, he came from Jesus, who Jesus is an apostle and came from the Father. Now, we understand that apostle is sent out. So to have Jesus and Paul to disagree, that doesn't make much sense. So we see that Jesus agonized and prayed all night before he appointed the 12 apostles. Now, disciples are different, and we will see in Luke chapter number 10, as we get a little closer to chapter number 10, we'll see that he had many disciples. In fact, there's a time when Jesus starts preaching and teaching that they don't follow him anymore because he says controversial things, but we'll get there. But in the meantime, I want you to really see that he prayed all night and continued in prayer to God. We would do good, church, to do the same. I know in, a, in about a, a week's time, we have a business meeting coming up. And you should do more than just attend. You should pray over that thing. Amen. You should pray that God would lead His church. He would illuminate our eyes and our hearts and lead us the path that we ought to go. Give us wisdom and show us what we should do. The last time we voted on officers at the river has been 2013. Well, what's happened? Well, we've had floods, we've had pandemics, we've had a lot of things. But we need to live up to our bylaws and do what we said we would do. Amen? Is that okay? Why don't we do that? But in the meantime, let us pray before we do it. Let us ask God what we ought to do. What should we do for our children, our grandchildren? A, a thousand years from now, if God tarries, because He very much will and can tarry. What kind of legacy we will leave? What we vote on will have implications that will go on that my children's children will reap the benefits of or suffer from. So we must pray. You, you say, preacher, it's just a business meeting. Well, your budget is just a budget. Where you invest your money and your time, your talent and your treasures, you should pray over your budget. You should pray over your time. Where do I spend my time? What do I do? Do I just waste time or do I use it for His glory? I should pray over. I should pray over my marriage. I should pray over my singleness. I should pray over my children, my grandchildren, my nieces and my nephews. I should pray over those things because those things have eternal implications that people will be affected by. So Jesus prayed. Now I ask you, do you pray? The Bible tells us that the prayers of the righteous availeth much in the book of James. Well, I don't feel very righteous, preacher. I mean, I've messed up this week. I messed up on the way to church today. I did this and I did that. My thoughts are shattered and my heart is heavy this morning. I don't feel very righteous. I want to remind you that Jesus supplies all the righteousness you need. Oh, that's so good this morning. That I'm wrapped in righteousness regardless of how I feel. The facts are laid out before you. And when you know the facts that, the, that we walk by faith, not by how we feel, it dictates how I'll feel. 
When you tell me that I'm saved, redeemed, uh, held on, I'm elect, I'm predestined, I'm going to be glorified. He holds on to me. And it's not really me holding on to Him. It it helps me. It it changes the way I feel about that thing. Amen, somebody. That Jesus loves me in spite of me. So I ask you, do you pray? Do you pray? Well, not over the big issues. Maybe I pray over the big issues, but not the little. Well, you already heard the preacher say, pray over the big issues, but also pray over the little. I used this analogy before, and it's just too good not to repeat. Over in a Texas town, an old country church, the preacher stands at the back door. And as he's leaving, as everybody's leaving, the old, old seasoned saint comes up to him and says, Preacher, I just decided to only pray about the big issues. And the preacher, without missing a beat, said, My dear child, to God, all the issues are small. For he's a big God. Do you need wisdom? Do you need to know what to do and how to do it? Do you need to know how to present yourself or how to speak or how to carry on? Where to go? How to give or take back a little bit? How to lean on the gas or hit the brake? Do you need that? Do you need to lean on him? We'll pray. Because Jesus prayed. And he is God. And we are to be like Christ. Church, do you pray? How much do you pray? Martin Luther said, I have so much to do. Many of us know Martin Luther because of my teaching and preaching here for the last six years. Happy anniversary, by the way. As the beginning of June is my anniversary here. I hope to have 60 more years if God can keep this old body together. Amen. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today. I better pray two hours instead of one. Maybe you say, well, I don't have that kind of time. Well, you can find things. The Bible says to be continual in prayer. You can pray while you're driving. You can pray on the job. You can pray while you're speaking. You can pray while you're getting ready for bed, doing menial tasks. You can pray. Even important tasks, you can pray. A constant communication. It's not just a constant pouring out everything all on the table. It's a continual conversation throughout your days. Much like my wife and my children, I communicate with them all through the day. Not just in this little hour of the day or just in that 10 minutes or that 5 minutes and I don't speak to them at all, all day. That we continually pray. But we see that Jesus tarried all night in this text. He prayed all night. I wonder, and I know you mamas in the house, you would actually say, well, I've prayed all night for my youngins. I can tell you my mama has absolutely prayed for me all night because I'm, a, I'm something else. But I, I know that you pray, but I wonder if the men have prayed all night. Have you wrestled with God about an issue? And I'm sure you have. And if you haven't, may God bless you with a situation where you speak and wrestle with Him all night. That the communication is stirred up in you. That you talk to Him and plead with Him to move. Either move the situation or move you. Amen, somebody. So we see that Jesus pleads and wrestles with God all night. My question is with you. Do you pray in such a way? Do you wrestle with God? Do you do like Jacob as he wrestled with the man until the dawn, crying out to God and say, I will not let go until you bless me. Jesus prays. He continued in prayer to God. And in verse 13, if you would look with me and look at chapter number 6, verse 13. And when the day came, He called His disciples and chose from them twelve whom He named apostles. 
out of the 72, Jesus chose these apostles. Now this is not their initial calling because uh, we see that Luke has already spoke about the 12 disciples when he comes across Levi and he comes across Peter. And he initially called them to be disciples. Now you might say, well this is almost as if it was out of order. Well we'll see later, we'll see that the, Jesus will actually start preaching and teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And you might say, well, it's a little shorter here. And then you fill up a whole chapter. And, and, then, and then in Matthew chapter 6, it goes on for three chapters. Well, there's other places in the book of Luke where pieces of the Sermon on the Mount are placed. And whenever editorial-wise, whenever Luke put together the book of Luke, he was doing it with uh, an editorial topic or he would place this there. He was not taking things out of the life of Christ. He's putting them in categories that will help benefit the reader. Remember, Theopolis was one who was commissioning Luke to write the orderly account of Christian history. So we see here the initial calling of the apostles. Now, I'm going to say something that you might say, wait a minute, preacher, you need to explain that. Well, I'm not here to just say controversial things. I, I like orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is old-fashioned Bible teaching and understanding. Now, I'm not saying nothing new here, and it's our understanding of the Bible that helps dictate our orthodox. Orthodoxy is our studying and teaching of theology. What we should remember is that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. However, He is not the foundation of the church. Wait a minute. I've taught you well enough to question the preacher, and I'm glad to take you somewhere to show you where the text says that. That Jesus is our chief cornerstone. However, He is not the foundation of the church. That's how important an apostle is. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter number 2 this morning. Go ahead and turn it. When you get there, say Amen so I can get at least one Amen this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter number 2. We're looking at verses 19 through 22. When you get it, say Amen. Nobody's got it yet. Hey, I got one over here. Praise His name. Come on. Oh, there's another one. Can I get three? Come on, come on. I heard somebody mum on the back. That was Miss Jerry. Amen. We're looking at Ephesians chapter number 2, looking at verse 19 through 22. When Paul, an apostle, is writing to the Ephesus church, he says in chapter number 2, verse 19, I do hope you have a copy of God's holy word and follow along with me. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So we see in verse number 20 that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. That the words they speak, the explaining and the writings that we have, the scriptures is the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ, the rest of this verse in verse 20, Himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We see that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church. When that's written there, it's to tell us that the Bible is the foundation because that's the prophets and the apostles. The writings of the teachers and the preachers, when Jesus commissioned these apostles, what He's doing is saying, I'm sending you to the world. Tell them about me. 
Now, you might ask, are there any more apostles in our society, in our world today? No. Now, I know you might come across somebody on the, on the internet or Facebook, or if you're on MySpace, I pray for you. If you're, if you're on the internet and you see somebody say, Apostle so-and-so. I even saw one that said, Grandmaster Flash Apostle. I've seen all kinds of great names tossed on these people. But the Bible explicitly tells us, and we understand, that an apostle is one who's seen Jesus face-to-face. Now you say, well, Paul, Paul didn't see Jesus face to face because Jesus had already ascended. Uh, I remember in the book of Acts when he was on the road to Damascus and God knocked him off his high horse. And he asked him, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? So he saw Jesus face to face and he commissioned Paul to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. These apostles had been handpicked by Jesus. So we don't have any apostles in our day and time. Now we have pastors and, and preachers and teachers and evangelists. We all see that in the book of Galatians as well as Titus and Timothy. So this morning, uh, we see that Jesus tarried all night and prayed because this was an important decision that He will make. He will choose apostles that will propagate the church. And these apostles will write texts like the book of James and the book of uh, uh, two-thirds of the epistles written by Paul. He, they would write books uh, much like the book of Mark, which was handwritten by John Mark, but he sat at the feet of the apostle Peter when he wrote wrote that gospel book. Well, also the book of Matthew, which was written by an apostle, Apostle Levi, who is known as Matthew. So these apostles are the foundation of the church. Well, we're getting a little bit of learning this morning, ain't we? We're learning. Now, we know that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. If the chief, chief cornerstone is flimsy and made of jello, the church cannot stand. But we have an ancient rock that we can stand firmly on and trust in. And it angles the rest of the church. It's built. The foundation is built on the chief cornerstone. Thanks be to God. Amen. Notice the chief cornerstone is put down first. Amen. The chief cornerstone. The main cornerstone. Everything else. Lays his beams across that. Jesus is our chief cornerstone. But then the apostles lay their beams across Jesus. Laying them across his back and his power and his might. So this morning we have the Holy Scriptures in our hands because of the apostles and their testimonies. Their eyewitness accounts. And this morning all the eyewitness accounts. Everything that we hold in our hands always points to Jesus. Amen. I believe it's John chapter 5 verse 20. He says, you study the scriptures and you pour over them because you believe there's life in them. But I want to let you know, the scriptures testify of me. Jesus lets us know it's all about Him, for Him. To Him alone be the glory. Amen. As we look this morning, as we see how important it is that Jesus is now appointing these apostles, now we need to see who the apostles are. If we would this morning, look in Luke chapter number 6. These are the names of the apostles. And the day came in verse 13. He called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. You'll notice in verse 14 all the way to verse 16, he names these apostles. Always, the first one always mentioned is of course Peter. Peter, if you were a leader or going to start a worldwide international religion, you probably would not put Peter first. Now why would you not put Peter first? This is one who was wishy-washy. He swung from one extreme to the other. 
In one moment, he's walking on water. And then the next moment, he's sinking to the bottom of the, of the lake. This is Peter who tells Jesus, though everybody forsake you, I will not. A couple of hours later, a little girl accused him of being in the band with Jesus. And he says, I don't know the man. And he betrays Christ. I wouldn't choose Peter. But then the Bible tells me he chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. This morning you may feel unqualified. That's okay. He still called you. And He qualifies you. Amen. I'm not good enough to get to heaven. We know. We all know. Join the crowd. Join the family. It's only because of grace. First example would be Peter. Always mentioned first. Well, he's the first among equals. That's why he's always listed first. It's not that he was a pope. For Peter is not a pope. Never was a pope. Even though the Catholic Church, uh, they make stake their claim that Peter was the first, first high priest of Rome. And since then there has been a succession of high priests known as the pope. However, that's not the case. Peter actually... After he betrayed Christ, Jesus shows up after he raises from the dead on a beach. And he cooks breakfast for Jesus. Amen. Jesus loves breakfast. Amen, somebody. And then he, he actually restores Peter. And then a little later, we see that Peter falls into error as we read the epistles. We see where Peter does not sit with the Gentiles because of their circumcision. He believes that we should go into circumcision and adhere to the Old Testament to gain favor with God. And then Paul comes along and corrects Peter. And Peter straightens up. So that lets me know that even old seasoned saints who's walked with Jesus sometimes can be wrong. Ooh, nobody throw nothing at me. It's good for us to be sharpened by one another. That we be like Bereans and study the Scripture and say, Hey, 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 we don't do that. We can't live that way. We don't veer here. We stay guarded there because of what the Scripture says. Paul corrects Peter. And you know how Peter receives it? He takes it on the chin and he submits to a holy God through an apostle. Amen. In fact, Peter is so zealous for Christ that in the year... 66 A.D., I believe. Peter will actually be arrested by Nero. Nero is the emperor of Rome. Nero was actually a sadistic emperor, wicked man. He despised the Christians. In fact, he will be also the same one to arrest Paul and have him beheaded. But Nero arrests Peter. He actually arrests his wife too, according to church tradition. You actually won't find that in your Bible. You have to do some research on that. As they go into the Circus Maximus, that's the Colosseum there in Rome. They bring Peter in along with his wife. And as he sees the cross, Peter, who has been dedicated to Christ, preaching the words of God, who was there on the day of Pentecost, by the way, today is Pentecost Sunday, when fire fell from heaven and caused them to speak in tongues, that they could hear the gospel in their native tongue. That's the point of tongues for a side note. We see that Peter sees the cross with his wife. And she begins to weep and he encourages her. And he actually tells the executioner that I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Jesus. Crucify me upside down. 
And they crucified Jesus upside down there as the people screamed for entertainment. Yes, kill the Christian. Oh, this is so entertaining. And as he wept and his wife wept on the cross, he encouraged her from the cross. says, don't worry, my dear, for long we will see the gates of glory and we will finally be at rest. Jesus takes the weak things and makes them strong. Whoever you are, maybe you feel weak and you don't feel like you can pull it off. You just just can't hold everything together. That's okay because He holds everything together by the power of His Word. Jesus chose Peter. Truth is, He chose you. (laughs) What do you mean, preacher? Let's be honest. Jesus had to choose us because we would never choose Him. Let's be honest. I would never come to Him. He had to come to me. The story goes, he'll leave the 99 to find the one. The one ain't looking for him. Let's be honest. Where were you when he found you? Were you in drugs, alcohol, living your own life, your best life now? What were you doing? Were you looking for him? Or did he snatch you and save you? Because that's just what he does. Oh, that's so good to me, preacher. We see that the... The Apostle Peter is not one that you would build a worldwide conglomerate movement on. And the truth is that he's an apostle and he's sent by Jesus. So he sends Simon, whose name was Peter and Andrew. In verse number 14 we see Andrew. And if you know that Andrew is actually probably one of the first disciples. But he's not listed first. He's actually the brother of Peter. That's the thing about when someone is found by Jesus... They go and find somebody they love and bring them to Jesus. Isn't that good? If Jesus has changed you and snatched you and saved you, you just don't keep that to yourself. You go and you tell somebody about Jesus. You compel them. The reason being is because you're converted and saved from wrath. And you go, this is too good. I cannot even wrap my mind around the fact that Jesus took in place, took, took the place, took my place, and substituted himself for a wretch like me. So you go and tell your closest kin, oh, I can't do that. They know me. That's the thing. They know you. Who being a better testimony than you? That we reach across the dinner table and tell them. That we go across the street to tell our neighbors. That we go across the across downtown to tell them and compel them. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Who have you brought? Who are you bringing? God is laying it on your heart right now. Whoever they are. Go ahead and start praying for them. But I'm challenging you to put legs on your prayer and inviting them to church. Inviting them here. I'm pressing upon your heart. Whether they're small, large, old, seasoned, or young, and the twilight of their years, or starting out, whoever they are, God is laying it on your heart. Well, they're too far gone. As long as they're drawing breath, it's never too late. Compel them. Invite them. Bring them in. Like the song Brother Danny sings, bringing in the sheaves. For a generation like me, what does that mean? Sheaves? What is is that? A a, a weird sheep or something? Sheaves? Well, we know it's stocks. We know it's it's the bounty. It's it's the crops. Bringing them into the storehouse is what the song is saying. Bringing in the result of Jesus' sacrifice. Bringing them in. Compelling them in. Bringing in the reward of God's sacrifice of Jesus Christ into the house. That's His great reward is us. 
He has redeemed us. He has saved us. So let us go get his jewels, those precious souls, and bring them in that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you're not concerned with the lost this morning, you're probably lost yourself. Amen. You should lose sleep over the perishing. Amen. You should be stirred and disturbed, disturbed over the, those people who are dying and going to hell. Andrew goes and compels and brings Peter to Jesus. Who have you brought to Jesus? We see who else the apostles are among the apostles. Andrew and his brother. And James and John. As we look at James for just a moment, James being one of the first of the martyrs. Now he was... Not the first martyr, but among the first of the martyrs. As we know, Stephen, who was a deacon, he was martyred. So deacon, be ready. You, you were the first to go. You're the one who serves the church. Our deacon served the body of Christ. But we see that James was one of the first to be killed. We see that at that time, Herod found out that he can gain favor with the religious in Jerusalem. So he had James killed. How they killed him is that they threw him down off the temple. And as he fell, it wasn't enough to kill him. So they drove him through with spears and killed him laying there. Some tradition says they took off his head. I'd rather lose my head for Jesus than anything. Amen. Amen. So James and his brother John, we know they had a reputation. They were called the sons of thunder. Everybody knows that. Don't you know that? That they wanted to call fire down from heaven. To have it consume a whole village because they did not receive the gospel message of Jesus. And Jesus rebuked His apostles. He told them, don't you understand what spirit you're of? A spirit of grace. A spirit of mercy. How many times have you have washed your hands with somebody? I'm done with them. I'm tired of trying to reach them for the gospel. I'm trying, I've tried so much to get to their heart and tell them the good news. I've, I'm done. God, if you want to just strike them dead, strike them dead. You're walking in the sons of thunder. I know that sounds like a cool name, but in the eyes of Jesus, it's not that great. For Jesus corrects His apostles. Because He's the Prince of Peace. He's a good shepherd. He's merciful. He's long-suffering and He's steadfast and He's kind. Amen. Maybe you just need to hear that this morning. You. That you continue to pray for Him. Amen. It seems like the more I pray for Him, the harder they get. The angrier they get. All the more glory He will receive when He changes them. Amen. Continue in your prayers. Continue. Don't walk in the sons of thunder's footsteps. For Jesus corrects them, and you receive the correction of the great apostle Jesus who comes with the message from heaven. No longer are you contending with God. No longer are you a rebel with God. Now there's mercy. There's an olive branch extended. And it's through Jesus. And we continue and we tarry. It's not time to sit on our hands. It's not time to stop praying. We continue to pray. We bring people to Jesus. We die for Christ. We live for Him. We cry out to Him. Even if it means that we shed blood, we lose our property. We, use our, we lose our rights and our, and our ability to gather together. We serve Christ even if it costs us everything. Amen. Because it very much will. So we read about his brother John. 
the other half of the brothers of thunder. John probably was the most pitied of all the apostles. After all the apostles were martyred outside of Judas, John lived in an old age. History tells us that the emperor of Rome, once again a different emperor other than Nero, actually boiled him in hot oil trying to kill him. However, he didn't die. I'm sure as he was in that cauldron and he was boiling alive, being deep fried as we said around here, he was preaching the gospel to his executioners and punishers. However, he survived. Can you imagine being crispy all over? And he didn't die. That doesn't mean that he wasn't scarred. He lived to be in his 90s. I tell you, I'm in my 40s and there's days where I feel every ache and pain. As he lived to be in his 90s, he saw his friends, his apostles, his cohorts, his buddies, all dying for the gospel message. And he had to tell them goodbye. But he labored on year after year. I believe in the book of Revelation when he wrote, In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no sea, is what he says. The sea being a place of solitude because he was on the Isle of Patmos. He was probably riding there because he was alone. He was in a prison camp. He was being beaten and forced into slave labor. And as he sat on the seashore, he saw the water roll in. And he says, this separates me from the church, this ocean. And I'm sure when he wrote in Revelation, he said, there'll be no more separation. I won't have to say goodbye to anybody else. I want to let you know, there will come a day when there will be no more tombstones. There will be no more tears. I can tell you that John probably suffered the most of all the apostles for he lived a long life and suffered great losses. He wept. Even in the book of Revelation, we see where he weeps because there was no one to open the scroll in the book of Revelation chapter number 5 and 6. He mourned and had great losses, but he tarried for Christ chose him. Jesus makes no mistakes. Amen. What kept John going? What situated him even in his 90s? What anchored him and tethered him? The one who chose him, Jesus. So this morning, no matter if you die early like James, Jesus will steady you. No matter if you live and tarry for a long time like John, Jesus, who is our chief cornerstone, will sustain you. What will I do when, I, when my, my health fails? What will I do? Will I just depend on Medicaid to keep me in and hold on to me? Will I depend on my family to come and watch over me? What will I do? I know as you grow older, there's a text in the Scriptures that says, even when your hair grows white, I will not leave you or forsake you. I believe it's in Lamentations that our God is faithful. God was faithful to James and God was faithful to John and two different spheres of life. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew. Let's look at Philip just for a moment, not to be confused with the, uh, the evangelist that we read about later who, meet, who speaks with the Ethiopian. Philip's, Philip actually goes into Turkey and they say that he was martyred there for 
the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is actually uh, uh, the, the historical account of Peter. Bartholomew later was one who was actually called Nathaniel. He was one who dealt with doubt. And he wondered, could anything good come out of Galilee? And whenever Jesus saw him, he said, Behold, one who has no guile. In all of Israel, there's none like you. And he says, How do you know me? And he says, When you were under the jasper tree, I saw you and I knew you. In that instance, we knew that Bartholomew or Nathaniel actually had a deep conversation with Jesus or the God of all the cosmos. And when Jesus pinpointed that conversation, he knew, he knew that this man was God. And Jesus says, you are calling me the Messiah just because I mentioned that conversation. Behold, you'll see greater works than that. He saw greater works. And he actually laid down his life. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. For this man was actually filleted alive as he was preaching the gospel. He goes to a, a pagan country and he's at odds with the, the people on the island. And as he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they arrest him. They actually arrest him and tie his arms and his legs together and they fillet him like a fish as he's alive. And as he died, they took his head off. Even in the pain and in the tears, he didn't change his gospel. He preached that Jesus is the only way. Would you still preach even if it got hard? Would your life be like a megaphone and say Jesus is the only hope we have? Or does it take a little twisting of the horn and say, oh, no, never mind, I'll be quiet. A little struggle or a little debt to say, no, I won't say anything else. Just relieve the pressure. Even Job, when he was on the ash heap, as he took the pot shard and he poured it across his flesh that was oozing with pus, he said, I know my Redeemer lives. Even when life is not good, God still is good. Amen, Amen somebody. Amen. This morning... As we just examined just a few of the apostles, I would like your permission to go ahead and, and study more of these and examine them closer next time we come together. Next time we come together, we'll look at, uh, we'll look at, um, we'll look at Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who's called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. I, I want you to notice that some of these names really stand out. For one being, in verse 15, Thomas, who doubts. Another one being Simon the Zealot, who's different than Peter. However, he was a zealot. That means he was very patriotic towards Israel. We also see Judas, the son of James, who was not Iscariot. We also see Judas Iscariot, who was unfaithful and a traitor. We'll examine more of these the next time we come together. But I want you to know in verse number 16, when Jesus chose Iscariot, He still loved Judas. In fact, He washed Judas's feet. And at the Last Supper, He actually fed Judas. For He knew He would betray him. He knew from the beginning that Judas was not dedicating and serving Him. That He was in it for His own means. But Jesus, in the three years that He walked with Judas, still preached the gospel, still pointed to Himself. I wonder this morning, are you a Judas?
Are you in a gospel preaching church with a pastor who is on fire? Are you in a, 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 an assembly of a, a congregation of people who love Christ, but you yourself do not? I pity you. It's not my job to weed out the Judases. It's my job to preach the gospel. For Judas had the best pastor the world had ever seen, and yet he went to destruction. So this morning, I ask you, are you weak and feeble like Peter? Wishy-washy. Walk with Jesus. Are you a son of thunder? You don't have much mercy. Walk with Jesus. Are you like Andrew? You're bringing your friends and your family to Christ. Uh, are you like uh, Bartholomew? Are you, are you being in a lot of pain but you still have not denied Him? Are you like John? Uh, you're living and you're living your life but, and it's been a long journey but you're still serving Him because He's faithful. Wherever you are, there's room at the cross for people like you and me. Amen.